Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $19 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham. I'm the CEO of Right Sleeve and Common Skew, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Danny Rosen, president of Brandfuel. Joining us today is Jeremy Lott, president of Sanmar, a company that needs no introduction given their ubiquity in our industry as a top blank apparel supplier. Sanmar has consistently been in the top 10 of the ASI top 40 supplier list, and they continue to make waves by expanding into newer and more fashion forward lines. Jeremy, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks very much. I'm thrilled to be here. So I'm going to get started with an easy question for you here, uh, Jeremy. I want you to tell us the story of how your dad and how your how your family started Sanmar because if my memory serves me correctly I think that he started out of the basement of his house and now you're a much much larger supplier I'd, I'd love to hear that story yeah you know I think uh, I'm happy to share I think as time goes on uh, you know stories change and and uh, and morph and there's multiple stories today but but the real the the real story was in 1971 my dad was coming out of the Coast Guard. He was a, he had kind of a purchasing agent in the Coast Guard, and, and he was still at the University of Washington, and he started a business kind of just almost like a sourcing agent, sourcing things for people, and it was kind of a continuation of what he was doing in the Coast Guard, and he had a customer that was looking for uh, T-shirts, and he imported a 1,000 T-shirts for this guy, and he canceled the order, and so he was sitting there, and uh, my grandfather owned a, a, a small building in downtown Seattle, and he had a 1,000 T-shirts sitting in the basement of this building. I said, well, what am I going to do with these? Hmm. And he went out to screen printers in the Seattle area and started selling them and found there was a market selling blank T-shirts to, to screen printers. He tried screen printing for a short period of time, decided uh, that wasn't for him. And the story he likes to tell is he ordered, there was a guy out of New York at the time who was the largest wholesaler, and he ordered yellow T-shirts, and they were all supposed to be Haynes t-shirts and they came and some were Haynes and some were for the loom and some were one shade of yellow and some were darker and he said if this is have the best service out there I think I can do better and so he started Sanmar um, really to meet that need to provide you know kind of consistency and service to screen printers in the Seattle area. And I'm, I'm always interested when I hear stories around how distributors or even suppliers got started uh, 40, 50 years ago and uh, what was the industry like back then for your dad starting this business? Was there like a defined uh, distribution channel where you went from t-shirt supplier to distributor to end user, or was it a little bit less formal? You know, I think it was less formal. I mean, really, we weren't in what we consider the promotional products business today till closer to 1990. And I think one of the things that, if you think back that time, there's a lot of industries that have converged, you know, screen printers who also sell promotional products, promotional products companies who, who decorate, uniform companies that sell promotional products. All these industries were that are that have crossed over today were really diverse or were distinct industries, you know, 40 years ago. So the the idea of selling to promotional products companies was not, um, and, and our traditional kind of now we think of as distributors, was not at all what we did 40 years ago, and um, you know we bought from at the time all of them were domestic mills. Um, you know they had manufacturing in the Carolinas or in yep. you know Alabama, um, 
and they wanted to sell in truckloads, and screen printers wanted to buy in pieces, and that's what Sanmar did. We brought in truckloads, and we sold in pieces. And you know, through the first really 20 years that we were in business, there was actually a real shortage of uh, of t-shirts in the world, t-shirts and sweatshirts, and you know, we were on allocation with the mills. So anything you could get, you could sell, and it really became who could get the most shirts. And so it was a, a very different marketplace today. So you know, our our main job was figuring out how to get inventory from people like again Haynes and Fruit of the Loom, and then there was a market selling those blanks to the to the screen printers. But uh, you know, it really wasn't until again around 1990 that we even started to participate in that promotional products world at all because those people were used to buying from people like Vantage who decorated. And the idea of buying blanks and having somebody else decorate yep. really was not part of the industry at that point. And that obviously has been a big shift over the last you know 20 years. But, um, but that was a really separate industry at that point. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just tell one quick story and then I, I, I want to throw it over to Danny that uh, I, I got started in this industry in 1997 and as, as a distributor and still have a distributorship uh, today and I was 22 or 23 at the time just right out of school and didn't really know what I was doing and uh, I, I remember I called up Gildan directly. I called their head office and got through to a gentleman by the name of Gary Bell. And I'm not sure if Gary's still around, but uh, he was certainly a, a player back then. And I said, I I'm, I'm a distributor, and I would like to set up an account with you. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, 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 and he, was a, he was a nice guy, and he said, well, let me explain to you how this business works. First of all, you're not going to buy directly from us unless you can buy you know, X million units from us. And B, there's a company called Sanmar Canada that I would recommend you call and set up an account with because they'll be able to take good care of you. And I know Sanmar Canada and Sanmar US is, has more of an arm's length relationship, but that's uh, uh, indirectly how I got exposed to your brand uh, almost 16 years ago. Oh, that's great. Great. Yeah, so uh, and that brings up sort of a good uh, a good segue to find out the things that have um, have evolved since Sanmar's um, you know the uh, the trunk you know the basement's beginning so to speak and and what's evolved not only in the industry but for you guys uh, you know let's talk a little bit about if you can Jeremy what has changed over these years that you've seen and I'm I'm particularly interested in. Um, in the private label space and sort of when that happened and, and the shift there and you know margin strength anything you can share with us about that and then also um, picking up more of the brands that are in retail and, and why that's important why it does work or doesn't work sure sure so there was a brand so in the early 1990s when we kind of started to make that move into the promotional product space and I mean um, you know going to our first PPAI show in Dallas and exhibiting and people really had never heard of us and you know we were really a Northwest kind of you know maybe a West Coast company at the time but uh, you know we started carrying polo shirts from Outer Banks and really that was kind of the first brand and, you know, I think uh, until it, it's hard to remember, uh, Haynes basically uh, gave up on the brand last year and shut it down. But this was a the dominant brand in the industry for right. polo shirts in you know the early '90s, and I mean huge market share. And again, it, it was really if you could get product, you could sell it. The challenge was getting enough product from Outer Banks, mm -hmm. and they were a manufacturer, and then eventually they were bought by by Haynes. But um, at the time, they were an independent company, and we looked at it and we said, "Gosh, 
I think we could go overseas and buy and offer a similar quality of shirt, but do it in more colors, do it in more yeah. sizes, and maybe offer it at a better price. But but really, uh, you know, it was more almost about and actually have a more consistent supply than we were able to get with Outer Banks, and that was that was a really significant move for our company and has really led to kind of a lot of the growth that we've had, but it was really with a lot of concern of our customers back at the time because they believed that, gosh, you know, if you're out of Outer Banks, I can go buy that from 10 other people that carry the brand. If it's Port Authority, you know, polo shirt you're trying to sell me, if you guys are out of that, uh, I can't buy that anywhere else. I can't trust you to inventory that product for me or be, you know, and, and we really had to earn that trust over a long period of time that we could offer great service um, and, in fact, almost offer better service than, you know, a dozen distributors selling outer banks. And I refer to us as a distributor there, but a dozen suppliers selling outer banks because we could actually control the manufacturing where we didn't have that control in outer banks. And we could kind of, you know, some years there was a lot of product and some years there wasn't in periods of time. So. You know, that really, we started with, you know, two jackets and one polo shirt and really grew the line very slowly kind of throughout the 90s um, into really being the leading, you know, private label line in the industry today. But it, it kind of very, very humble beginnings. I always like to tell the story. We started, we called it Port Authority. We had um, my cousin who kind of was a copywriter for an ad agency came up with the brand name and it kind of had this nautical name, that's where yeah. the Port Authority came, and we had our original um, labels had like uh, the nautical flags on them, and I'll never forget I when that. I started in the business, and I went to, uh, my first time I went to travel to New York, and I was calling on a customer, and the guy said, look, I like you guys, you guys, good product, good service, but why in the hell did you name your brand after the bus station, you know, oh. and because in New York, the Port Authority is the bus station, and you know, and it's not the nicest place in New York, and we said, you know, we'd never thought of that, but at the time, we didn't sell anything in New York, you know, and, and so again, um, uh, you know, and the names work for us, but, you know, I think the interesting, the other question you asked, Danny, was about, uh, you know, retail brands, and I think what we found over time was that we wanted to offer our customers kind of this complete solution, that you could go to your end user and say, look, if, if you're really brand cute and you have a higher budget, we have products for you. If you're looking for a great, you know, product at a great value, we have products for you. And, you know, we have that kind of good, better, best strategy. And so we've really um, partnered with what we think of as great retail brands who want to participate in our space um, and have chosen Sanmar to be really their exclusive supplier. And our model has been to choose brands that, choose us exclusively for our space, and then we'll give that exclusivity back. So with Nike Golf, for example, yep. um, we have an agreement with them that says nobody else can sell Nike Golf into the promotional market, and we're not allowed to carry any other golf brands. So we couldn't pick up Adidas or Ashworth or Callaway or any of those other brands. And we like that because we partner very deep with that manufacturer um, or with that brand and have a really great relationship there. It allows us to carry bigger breadth of products to inventory that product deeper because we're not necessarily splitting the sales between multiple brands. Um, and we think we can service the industry much better that way. So we like the strategy of having great private label brands and great retail brands. And, um, you know, we really look for, when I look at retail brands, we look at leaders in the space. Uh, we look at brands that 
we're going to be able to service really well. And we also look at brands where there's enough margin so that the brand can make a margin money, Sandmar can make money, and our customers can make money. And there's too many brands out there that we look at that just don't have that margin structure that that works. And so we'll look at it in the price we would have to sell it at. You know, you guys wouldn't be able to make money and be competitive relative to the retail price. And that's really our goal. So we those things all have to line up for us to partner with a retail brand. Right. I you know, I think it's so interesting thinking about the evolution of your business, Jeremy, and that you you at one point when the business started were very focused on selling Gildan and and Haynes and Fruit of the Loom and uh, low margin, basic commoditized items, and it's interesting to see. And I can tell you, in my 16 years of the business, to see how your company has evolved to now carrying all these different retail lines, and of course with Port Authority. And this was my question: is I'm curious, um, I'm curious about the the distribution from a, uh, and however you're comfortable to answer this question is fine, but the distribution between. Uh, your private label business versus your higher margin retail oriented business, which I'd include the Nikes of the world and OGO in, in that category. And then in the third sure. bucket, the down and dirty, low margin, everyone needs it, everyone can sell it for a penny less uh, uh, t-shirt business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, you know, we are the... Uh, second largest t-shirt wholesaler today um, and you know we have a big competitor that does that does you know a lot of business in that space but it's a space that is really important to us and that we're very focused on growing today and being really competitive in we want to be um, kind of that one-stop shop for our customers and that means being involved in you know a, a really competitive low margin business yeah. and we're focused on making sure that we can do that efficiently and effectively and and profitably for Sandmar we don't we um, uh, but it's, it, it's a tough space to be in but we are we're very focused there I would tell you at the same time certainly our private labels and our retail I, it's not a secret that there's more margin in those businesses they're also a lot more expensive businesses to run so when I buy when I sell a truckload of Gildan t-shirts Gildan fills up another truck from their warehouse and they ship it to me and I've got more Gildan tomorrow. You know, I'm able to turn that business, that inventory really fast. With my, uh, you know, with Nike for instance, I have seven month lead times from the time I order the Nike product to the time it comes into my inventory. Right. So I have to carry, you know, months and months of supply of Nike for me to be able to run that business. So it's a much... Uh, more, it, it's a more profitable business from a margin standpoint, but there's also a lot more expenses involved in running and managing that business. With our, uh, with our private label business, if you came to visit us today, I'd walk you through, we have a kind of a full product creation team with designers and merchandisers and technical fit and sourcing people and, you know, you're taking a lot of risk at the factory level and we have our overseas team, you have all these people to pull that together. And so, yes, you have more margin there, but you also have a lot of complexity and a lot of costs in managing those business so yeah. um, you know the, the key thing for us is that you know we want to do a great job at all of them we want to be competitive of all of them and, and we want to we want to make money in in 
all three and we're kind of committed to uh, that that full business I think some people look at us uh, have looked at us historically and said well, you just really want to do your private labels and we said no, no the private labels are important to us our ported company t-shirts are important to us but so is Gildan we're really focused on selling Gildan t-shirts and Haynes t-shirts as well yep. and um, you know we think we do a great job at, at all three yep yeah, that's sort of a, a good question. Um, I think that ties into you mentioned sort of the, the bottom line profits. You've, you've got to make money, and, and you're you're figuring out a way to make money and maybe offset by some of the private label and some of the brand stuff that you're able to offer that's more proprietary to Samar. Can you tell us a little bit about the tale of the three bricklayers? I've heard this from some of your your people, some of your sales reps that come in that you've got this parable that you tell and and you talk about. Um, not the profit, but um, the bricklayers and the story about how it relates to helping the world as an industry. You want to hit on that a little bit? Sure, sure. So um, it, it's kind of the. I, I'm not sure where I picked this up. Somebody told me this story of the, you know these two guys and they're um, you know pushing a wheelbarrow of bricks and you go up to the first guy and you say, well, what do you do? And he says, well, what does it look like I do? I'm pushing bricks for a living. And you go up to the second guy, you know same wheelbarrow, same bricks, and you say, what do you do? And he says, I'm helping to build a cathedral, right? So, you know, same job, same wheelbarrow, same bricks, very different framing of how they look at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And what I've tried to do with our employees, and, and I've told the story to some customers as well, is to try and understand what are the cathedrals that we're all building, because I think sometimes uh, we get in the mindset, well, we just we sell T-shirts or we sell promotional products, and that's what we do. And you know that's the guy pushing bricks. And what we do as an industry is is a lot more than that. Um, I, I truly believe that we are building cathedrals. And you know, there's several things that I like to talk about. You know, um, I gave a talk recently with employees about what we're doing um, with the people around the world who are building our product. And I think the good that we're doing in their lives and and uh, improving kind of their lives and the economies and the opportunities that we're giving to a lot of people and especially women in a lot of the developing countries who are building our product. So, you know, we certainly talk about just by doing our job well, I think we're doing kind of good things in the world. You know, I, I talk a lot about our whole business at Sanmar is really enabling thousands and thousands of small businesses in this country to be successful. And I mean that is that those are our customers and and you know our job is to be their inventory, our job is to be their bank, our job is to be their marketing team, their product development, their inside support team. You know, and when we're doing our job really well, I think we're enabling those businesses to thrive and be successful. And that's creating jobs, it's creating you know, communities, it's creating opportunities for a lot of people. And you know, you hear of course, you know, all the politicians talk about small businesses being the backbone of our economy, but it really you know, it really is true, and I see a big part of our job is to enable those small businesses to be successful, and I and that's how I like to think about what we do. And so, to me, I think we do do a lot of things to kind of build cathedrals, and and that's my you know the parable I like to kind of share with people. And you know, I encourage you to think about what are the ways that you know how your business is really doing. Uh, you're not just selling promotional products. You're doing a lot of great things in the world, and you're helping to build cathedrals. And I and I hope people think of it that way. You know, it's interesting to hear you you talk about that from a supplier perspective, Jeremy. And I know that uh, uh, Danny and myself and many other uh, chefs that are involved in Promo Kitchen uh, that are on the distributor side will often talk about our roles as distributors and not being people that sell swag or trinkets and trash or just you know yet another 
run a t-shirts that uh, that are that our end user bought from us at a low margin but rather we've always talked about it, it in the context of surprising and delighting people or uh, the role of promotional products in, in, in generating this emotional connection between the end user and the product and a lot of things that are very cathedral oriented in, um, in, in, uh, in language or at least to use your example. So it's kind of cool to hear you talk about it from the supplier perspective because we always think on the distributor side, hey, we're the ones adding a lot of the value and we're the ones directly in front of the end users and we often don't think about it from your perspective because you're the ones that are often just shipping out the blank product and shipping the widgets and, and uh, the distributors adding the value from a design and decoration standpoint. So there you go. Sure. Good thing sure. for us to learn. Yeah, no, and I think it's, I think, look, I, I look at you guys and I think that when you're doing your jobs really well, as a distributor, you're helping a company achieve, or an organization, or school, or team, or whoever it is, um, you know, achieve a goal. Whether that's promoting a new product, or launching a new product, or increasing their sales, or increasing their visibility in a marketplace, or um, you know, maybe it's a you know, um, you know, whatever it is. And those are that's really that's really powerful things that you guys do, and you're an integral part of their success. And and you know, I always encourage distributors to think that way, and I hope that. You know, I think that I hope that distributors feel like that as suppliers, and especially maybe good suppliers, that we're a part of your success, and that there's a real, you know, partnership there. So uh, yeah, I think it it works on both sides for sure. Uh, I I had uh, one one question here for you, Jeremy. That's uh, that that wanted to get your perspective on. Uh, a few months ago, there was uh, Gildan had made big waves in the press, or at least the industry press, with their purchase of. The New Buffalo Shirt Company, uh, from a, uh, and, and for those people that don't know about New Buffalo, they're a decorator in uh, on the East Coast, and a fairly large decorator. And I know that when that happened, it was it was interesting on a number of levels. But you get the conspiracy theorists that then start saying, "Okay, well now this is one step closer to Gildan now printing, selling direct to the big breweries and the bigger clients that are out there." Is there? Um, is there credence in those concerns, or do you look at the, that that purchase as being entirely strategic on a whole other level? And if I could even unpack that question <laughs> with one more, <laughs> sorry about this. Sure. Um, do you think that that uh, do you think that that acquisition is of benefit to distributors? Is there another way of looking at it uh, to combat the conspiracy theorists that are always coming down hard on these things? Sure, sure. You know, I. I certainly take Gildan at their word when they when they talk about um, why they made the acquisition. I've actually been to New Buffalo's facility in uh, in San Pedro Sula in Honduras. They had a big facility in that was um, literally across the parking lot from Anvil's um, manufacturing plant. And, and I think every, most people know that Gildan bought Anvil last year. Yeah. Uh, Anvil and New Buffalo had a very uh, Strategic partnerships serving um, a lot of their retail accounts. They did all of the um, uh, Disney stores. So uh, Anvil sold T-shirts to New Buffalo. New Buffalo would print, you know, um, Buzz Lightyear on them, and then they were sold at like your Disney stores, kind of throughout your, the malls. And yep. it was a really important partnership. And New Buffalo was kind of the customer there for for Disney. And and you know, I was in that facility and saw the you know, millions of Disney shirts being printed. I really believe this was um, all about uh, the reason that Gildan, the, the biggest reason Gildan bought Anvil was not 
so they could sell more basic teas in our space, but that they had an opportunity to participate further in kind of this retail business. Anvil would do private label for Nike um, and Adidas and the, the Disney programs. And so that retail business that Gildan really sees as a huge growth opportunity for them. Anvil was a great um, acquisition to pursue that, and I think New Buffalo following on was part of that strategy. So they really see this as if you're going to go sell Nike t-shirts that they're going to sell at Foot Locker, they really want to buy a full package t-shirt that they're going to um, that they're going to sell. And this was really, um, you know, strategic from, from Gildan's standpoint for their retail customers who want to buy a full package. I really, um, I don't believe that it uh, is Gildan's attempt to kind of compete with our channel in in a traditional way. I do know there's some large screen printers that do, you know, retail programs, but um, for the most part, this was really about servicing their retail business by offering them full package, and, and New Buffalo was a great opportunity for them to do that. And that's what they've communicated, and I certainly um, you know, take them at their word. Yeah. Well, and I think that you have, if you look at any screen printer in North America, or at least glo or even globally, you'll see some gray areas in their business where, on one hand, they'll... Uh, they're happy to do corporate orders, and they're also happy to pick up distributors. And I think that uh, some of them are a little bit more upfront about their business strategy, and others it might be a little bit more murky. And I think that if you look at this example, or at least what I've communicated to other people in the industry, is that so what if Gildan is going after a retail a retail channel? Well, it's a free country. I suppose they can do it, but. Uh, if you're a distributor that has got a retail business, then that's something that you'd need to be aware of. And uh, if, if if you were looking to go into partnership with a Gildan for a particular program, so sure. And and I would tell you, I don't think it's different than you know Haynes, which has owned their own you know screen printing for a number of years, and yeah. Fruit of the Loom. I mean, all of the big mills, um, because for most part, you know Haynes and Fruits business are retail business, and so Gildan, which is more focused on our channel. They see this as you know a big part of their growth strategy, but I really think it's much more about competing with with those brands and being able to offer private label to the Nikes and, like I said, Adidas of the world. So, right, right. Uh, so I just wanted to do a quick time check. Uh, we we we're probably good for another five or ten minutes, uh, Jeremy. And uh, I know that I I could talk to you for the next two hours, <laughs> but I'll spare you of that. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that everyone everyone was okay with the time at this point. Um, Danny, do you do you have a question you want to launch into? Yeah, I have one more. Um, I've been thinking about this from our standpoint, being a you know a buyer of Samar products for years and years, and and getting to know the, your family, which. Uh, has been a, a great experience. Um, it's interesting to see how you guys all operate and and uh, how you figured that multi generational challenge out. Um, it's really impressive. Um, but I, I think from my perspective as a distributor, uh, you know, I think about the things about why we might buy from from Samar versus another organization, and you know, I could say it's it's just the incredible culture and the people that we are connected to. Um, and and I could maybe align it with um, you know the, the technology that you all offer from the uh, the, the uh, sort of back end. We can set up our own little storefronts and things like that, and the, the marketing pieces that you all have figured out, and certainly the stuff that we talked about before, the, the private label and the, the the value and the brands that you guys are aligning yourselves with. All that stuff's really important, um, and and I think all that stuff is is you know connected to why you are growing. 
um, and why you're sitting at the top of the food chain and the supplier side of our industry. Uh, I just want to know what happens next. You know, what what is Samar up to uh, in the future? And um, uh, I think everybody who's on on this podcast listening really wants to know. Yeah. So, so appreciate some kind of words there. You know, we I tell people that that, and this really goes back to my dad's strategy from very early on. We've had a strong, what I like to call a kind of growth bias as a company. So we've grown. Um, every year, but three years out of you know now our forty kind of three in business, um, you know, and I was here for two of them, and you know, in two thousand and one and in two thousand and nine, we didn't grow, um, and there was nineteen, I think, it was eighty one. You know, we had a tough year and didn't grow. The other years, we've we've grown our business, and and the reason we've grown, I believe, um, is that we have really taken whatever profits the company's made and reinvested them back into the business. And that might be more inventory, more styles, customer service, more locations, technology. I mean, all the things that I think, uh, you know, impact our customers, it's because we've been able to kind of reinvest in growing in the business. And we, we feel really strongly about that strategy and kind of continuing that strategy. And I think you'll see us continue to want to really work to grow the business. I tell people that there's, you know, there's two really ways to grow. You can sell like more things to the same people or same things to different people. And, you know, we're certainly doing a little bit of both. So if you look at our, you know, when I say different people, when I, we started, we sold to, you know, just screen printers. Then it was screen printers and embroiderers. Then it was screen printers and embroiderers and promotional products companies. Then it was, you know, we added industrial laundries or team dealers. And so that universe, uh, you know, has grown uh, of our customers. But we've also continued to increase our offering. And so, you know, from T-shirts to T-shirts and sweatshirts to sports shirts to jackets to, you know, safety wear to who knows kind of what's next. But we want to, if we can build product and offer really a compel compelling value um, and do something well for our customers, then we'll look to continue to do that. I think as we've grown, it's enabled us to give opportunities to our employees to grow, to build careers here, and, and that's really our strategy going forward. So, you know, I would tell you in the near term, in the next, you know, two years, you're just going to see, I think, a lot of more of the same from us. We're investing pretty heavily in some technology right now. We're implementing a new warehouse management system. Um, we are... Um, we're investing a lot in new product and product development. I think we've had 2013 was our best year that we've ever done in terms of product releases. We've done uh, a spring, a, a, a kind of a district release in the summer, and then our fall release that just came out. We're really excited about the product we just released next year, you know, and we're hard at work at next year's product. So I think you're going to see us continue to do that. But uh, you know, we want to continue to grow as a company, and we're really focused on that. And that's a big part of my job is figuring out where those next areas for growth. I, I've, I've got one question I want to slide in here, uh, uh, Jeremy, uh, if, if, if it's okay from a time perspective. Yep. So yep, I'm great. A, a, lot of, a lot of what uh, uh, the, the, uh, the idea that we live in an Amazon world is something that would come as no surprise to really anyone on this call. 
Uh, I know that on the distributor side, there has been discussion around what would happen if Amazon got into our business. And, and of course, there's the uh, Amazon Supply. I believe that's the website, amazonsupply.com, which is now a little bit more focused on industrial and office supplies. Uh, but we all know that Amazon's leadership in distribution and technology and warehouse management and e-commerce is unparalleled and almost uncontested in this world. Do you think about that? I, I know that they're your neighbor because, of course, your headquarters are both in Seattle. But yep. throwing this out as a crazy thought, like what what would happen if you woke up tomorrow and found out that Amazon had partnered with Fruit and Nike and Gildan and said, all right, we're now selling to distributors. <laughs> mm -hmm. What kind of day would that be like for you? I know it's a, a bit of a silly question, but Danny and yeah. I often talk about this from a supplier perspective going direct, but I'd be fascinated to get your perspective on that from a supplier uh, perspective and Amazon coming into our marketplace. Sure. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting question, and it's one that we've actually thought a lot about. I think, especially being in Seattle and seeing um, you know how kind of pervasive Amazon has become. I'll tell you, we use I don't know if you're familiar with Amazon Fresh. It's their grocery delivery service, yeah. and it, I, they're rolling it out slowly to kind of different markets. But you know, we can order groceries up to I think it's up to midnight, and they're on our door by 6 a.m. the next morning. So when we don't have, wow, you know, we realized the night before that we you know forgot food for the kids' lunches, well, no problem. It's there at 5.45 the next morning. Actually, I saw the truck leaving my house at about 5.45 this morning. And, That's amazing. You know, they, are, they have an unlimited amount of money to go spend in these industries, and they don't care if they lose money for five years to be able to grow in them, right, which yep. is a really dangerous competitor to have. And so, yep. you know, they're not just in the book business anymore, and they are continuing to expand into different industries. And, you know, would it surprise me if they were a competitor at some point? It, it, it probably wouldn't surprise me. In fact, I think we are, you know, we talk a lot about who are those companies that are um, not our traditional competitors, but what would happen if, you know, you looked at a Camsing Global, right, who, who was yep. a factory who bought, you know, uh, suppliers this year and became kind of more vertically integrated. You know, we, um, there are, uh, you might be familiar with a company called Zarel is owned by a large Thai yep. manufacturing kind of company in a factory that we used to do some business with years ago. We haven't yep. worked with them in a while because they became a competitor. Yep. But you know, some of these some of these non traditional competitors are really interesting and something that we're watching closely. We've never had a lack of competitors though. And whether it's been our traditional competitors or new people that's entered the industry, um, you know, we would, you know, fight like heck against any kind of new competitors that came in. I think what we have that would that we have you know, we have great relationships with our customers that we've built over a long period of time. We have great customer service people. We have a real culture around customer service that I think it's hard for um, somebody to just copy. Uh, certainly anyone can go and, you know, buy inventory, but can you really you know, distribute it well is, you know, I still think is a, is a question and is this a space that you really want to come into? But, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that we, we definitely talk about Amazon and others um, who might decide to come into our industry. You have this, I keep going back to this convergence of industries that I see happening over time. You know, when we work with these retail brands, one of the problems we have is that they're 
um, their retail partners are thinking, oh, well, this looks like a good industry there to go into. So you have people, we used to carry the, the Columbia brand, and you have people like Cabela's or Bass Pro who, you know, sell to decorated product to end users. And so, you know, we've never looked at Cabela's as a competitor before, but they are. They're a competitor to, to you know, our outdoors brands today, mm -hmm. our Eddie Bauer brand with what they're selling. So we, uh, and they're a, a, a large company with a lot of resources. Yep. And they sure do a nice job. So, um, yeah, it's a great thing to think about. I think we would, um, you know, uh, like I said, uh, fight like heck against any kind of new competitors that come in and do the best that we could. But, yeah, we're continually looking at who else is out there and, and you know, is this an industry that might make sense for them to move into. Well, I think that if you look, when you look at uh, that exact same conversation uh, had between distributors, there's, there's no question that you've got uh, large, sophisticated online distributors, branders.com, ePromos, 4imprints, and of course they'd all be large customers of yours as well, but it's interesting to see how companies like that have put pressure on the traditional bricks and mortar distributors to either shape up or ship out. And mm -hmm. I think what you're seeing, at least I can say this from a distributor perspective, that the the better distributors get better, and the weak ones just get left by you know uh, on the side. So um, and that actually leads me to uh, I, I know my last question uh, is we always try to be the we always try to be the conscience of of the industry or the conscience of the small business person on the on this podcast. And the question I have for you, or my final question to you, Jeremy, is uh, there for for the typical distributor in this business, the, 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 the one-person band or the mom-and-pop business that are working out of their house and they're, they're, they're putting it all on the line, a lot of them, I'm sure, can't fathom how they could ever grow a business to the size that your business is at today. It's just completely inconceivable to a lot of people. If you were to offer one piece of advice, I know this is a tough question, but I, I, I think you can answer it. One piece of advice to that struggling small business owner, the one who is maybe where Marty was in 1971 with those shirts that were in his dad's house or the building in Seattle, what's the one thing that that small business operator can focus on to make exponential or, or just meaningful growth and, and, uh, as they build their business? Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great question. It's hard to come up with one answer. I will tell you that it took us, you know, 43 years to, to get to this size. And I think what I've seen um, too many distributors, really good distributors do, is they've tried to grow too fast. And I've seen more people grow out of business because they've grown too fast yep. than they've been because they, grow, they grew too small. So they're taking orders that they couldn't really finance well, and they didn't have the the backing in place. They um, tried to start importing things directly, and they got burned from doing that. They just got extended too far on, you know, their credit and didn't have that financial resources to really kind of grow to that next level. And so I, I, I caution, I counsel people, and I, I give them caution about as you're growing your business, um, doing it in a very, um, call it, uh, uh, cautious uh, uh, way and that you're very mindful, I guess, of what it takes to move kind of from each stage of the business 
to the next. It's not something that you grow from being, you know, a half a million dollar year distributor to being a ten million dollar year distributor in, you know, two years. If you do that, there are so many challenges that you will have. You won't have the resources in place. You won't have the financing in place. You won't have the management in place. You won't have the technology in place to make yeah. those jumps, and it becomes really hard. So being really purposeful about kind of your growth and planning it is uh, is really important for people. There's a ton of opportunity out there, I think, for people to kind of build a business. But doing it in that kind of purposeful way, I think, is really valuable. Um, again, I've just I've seen too many people who've tried to grow too quickly, and that's come back to kind of bite them. Uh, I would say, you know, there's some things that my dad, you know, would tell you, like from him from the beginning. You know, he paid his bills on time. I know it's sometimes it's tough and people get extended and but you know, having those kind of basic philosophies were really important to him. You know, when he started his business, he made it a point to, you know, get lunch with his banker every other week because he knew how important that person was to his success at the company yeah. in in those early days to kind of growing. You know, communicate really well with your vendors and your uh, they're a huge part of your business. Um, and you know, we spent a lot of time in those early days talking to the people at at Haynes at Fruit of the Loom and being able to secure product and be able to secure credit from them and enable our business. Those things were really important to us. But I think he's always had a very strong um, focus on you know kind of the customer and and more than anything else, that's been the piece that's made us successful. And as much as this business has changed over you know all the years. I think that I would tell you that having a real customer focus and that mindset has been, uh, you know, consistent throughout, and I think that's the piece that's made us successful. Well, and I, and I think what's so brilliant about that answer is that we live in an age that's so dominated by social media and technology and smartphones, and you can make an argument that business has fundamentally changed, and, and you could probably make a strong argument that that business has fundamentally changed, but when you look back at it, those fundamentals of treating the customer with respect, treating your vendor partners as partners and also with great respect and really building a company based on strong values are just something that never goes out of style. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to see that that's, that's been successful yeah, for you and guys. I think, no, absolutely. And I think you know, even the online businesses, I mean, I think the ones that I think about who've been really successful still think a lot about their customer, right? And it's not just about how we get it to be the quickest, but you know, and we talked about Amazon. I, 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 Amazon's a very customer-focused company, yep. and um, as fast as they've grown, and, and so having that, but you're, it's it's about that culture and setting that up kind of very early is is really critical, and and maybe even more critical in in today's world because you do have so much choice out there. Yeah. Danny, uh, at this stage, do you, do you have any uh, other questions uh, for, for Jeremy? Or, Jeremy, of course, do you have anything else that you'd like to add before we, uh, before we end things up? How about you, Jeremy? You got anything left in the tank there? Yeah. Well, no, I just uh, so, uh, certainly wanted to thank you guys for the opportunity to, to, to share some thoughts and be on the podcast. Uh, you know, I think you guys are really doing something very neat with Promo Kitchen. I think I probably heard about it first. Gosh, maybe about a year ago was the first time I'd heard of Promo Kitchen. I'm not sure how long it's been around, so maybe I was a little late to it. But um, you know, follow you guys on on Facebook and some of the other things that you're doing, and you know, I think it's a really neat approach to 
um, helping to helping to build our industry. I think our industry is has a huge value that we can add if it's done the right way. And I think, you know, I think about TV today and how nobody watches commercials. I think about, um, you know, how this huge ad spending is just going online. And I think a lot of companies today think, well, that's the only place I should be spending my money is kind of Google paid search. But I think promotional products done right is a really important advertising vehicle. And I, you know, obviously I've drinking the Kool-Aid, but I really believe in our industry and the and its future, and I think you guys kind of being out there helping uh, helping young kind of entrepreneurs and young businesses to kind of grow and, and become better is just a, is really neat that you guys are doing it. So I applaud you for kind of all the efforts and uh, and thank you guys. So I think we what? should thank you as well. I know you're uh, you guys have been supportive um, whether it's, whether you know it or not. I know your marketing departments. Take an interest in what we're doing, and and um, and we'll be announcing something here in the in the coming months with respect to a design contest that you guys are helping us out with. Um, that's going to be closer to Expo, which I think for Mark and I, it's interesting not just that you know we've got supplier partners, distributor partners that are trying to support moving the dial with respect to education and mentorship, our two missions, but um, the fact that you know in this case we're we're sort of looking at a the creative group within our industry to focus on a design contest and as connected to uh, your great brand, the district brand. And so that will be exciting for us to share in the coming months. So thank you very much. Great. Great. Well, my pleasure. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. Uh, I know that uh, Danny raves about uh, about you being uh, the leader you are and the great guy you are, and I know that uh, this has been a highlight of my day to be able to connect with you. So, look forward to uh, connecting with you in person at the next uh, next show, maybe maybe over beer in Vegas or in Vegas. Yeah, yep, I'll, I'll look forward to that. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.